Well, good morning. Isn't it just awesome when we all can just come together and just sing songs to God and just worship Him just corporately? Is that just not so stinking awesome? I love it. Yeah, come on. Yeah. We have a rule around here. One claps, everybody claps, right? You don't want to be the person that leaves that single clapper alone. So we're supporting one another. We're loving God, loving people, and we're clapping. So anyways, uh, but man, it's just so awesome because, you know, so many times... We have this uh, perception that for some reason that uh, we're, uh, God is not just as big as he is and, and, and we think that somehow uh, maybe he becomes bigger or uh, stronger in certain circumstances. Let me tell you folks, God's about as big as he's going to get. He's not going to get any bigger. You want to know what gets bigger is our awareness of him and our, uh, our, our awareness of his presence. His presence is not going to be in us any more than it already is. It's just, wow, we just kind of become more aware of it. When we're around other believers, when we worship God in spirit and truth, it's just a powerful, powerful, powerful thing. And so it's just awesome when we come together and we worship him and we truly begin to understand his goodness and we begin to understand how awesome he is and we begin to understand how he is the God that makes all things new. And we've been talking about that over the past few weeks. We kicked off the series with Danny Cahill coming at the first of the year, and he was talking about overcoming struggles and obstacles and things like that, and it was just a great time with him. And then next week, I shared about how we need to find our reason, we need to find our why to overcome, and how God has already made us overcomers in Christ, and we need to find our reason to keep moving forward in life. And then last week, we talked about our perspective and we talked about how we see ourselves and how God sees us and how we need to see ourselves the way that God sees us. And this week, we're going to continue in that thread of this new series. And the title of my message this morning, if you're taking notes, I want you to write this down, A New Priority. You can also follow along on version if you've got that app. You can download that from the App Store, whether you're using Android or you're using um, iPhone or iPad or whatever. And go click on Live when you go into that version app. Click on Live and search for an event in your area and you'll find the service here and you'll be able to follow along in my notes uh, there as well. So if you want to take advantage of that. Before we get any further, let's just bow our heads just for a minute and let's just go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I thank you so much for this service. I thank you so much for these people who've come out, who've decided to come be in your house today, worshiping you with other believers, God, and just talking about how awesome you are. And Father, now we've come to the point where we're ready to hear your truth and our hearts have been prepared. And I pray, God, that the truth that will be shared from your word today will have a powerful impact on everyone who hears it, that it would get into our hearts and it would become something more than what we hear or what we know, but it would become something that actually changes the way we think and the way that we act and react, and it would influence our lives as well as others because of what you're going to do today because of the truth that we're going to grab a hold of and the revelation that we're going to grab a hold of today from your word, from understanding more about you and your desires for us, and we thank you for it in advance. In Jesus' name, and everybody said... Amen, amen. Well, let's go ahead and start off by digging right into the Word. Let's go to the book of Matthew and the sixth chapter. Now, I know that since I've been the pastor here, I have uh, shared Matthew chapter six quite a bit because it's just something that's near and dear to my heart. And listen, we've got to understand that when we hear scriptures that we may have heard more than once, that we shouldn't become so commonplace with those things that allow those things to become so commonplace that we lose the meaning of it, right? 
because a lot of us could probably quote John 3.16 backwards and frontwards in 10 different languages. But that doesn't mean that it's lost any more of its potency or its impact on what the weight of that scripture is, right? And it's the same thing here with Matthew 6, because I believe anything that's worth saying once is worth saying, well, more than once, right? All right, Matthew chapter 6 and verse 33 says this. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. This is Jesus speaking here. And the words of Jesus have been recorded telling us to put God's kingdom first place in our lives. To seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and then all these other things, he says, will be added unto us. Seeking God's kingdom first, here's what it does. It helps us to develop a healthy perspective. It gives us a healthy worldview because there's a lot of things that shape our perspective, that shape our mindset. But the one thing that should shape our mindset and our perspective of how we view things should be God and his priorities and his kingdom. Amen? So we have to seek God's kingdom first because it helps us to develop that healthy perspective. And the healthy perspective enables us to put things in proper priority in our lives. We have to see things the way that God wants us to see them so we can understand how we should prioritize our lives and in what manner we should uh, put those things in our lives. Because we, we look at different ways to prioritize things and, oh, this is important or that's more important. But the main thing that we say when it comes to priorities and it comes to time is that we always say, I'm busy. Right? If you go up to anybody, you say, hey, how are things going at your job? Oh, I'm just busy. How are things going at your home? Oh, I'm busy. Hey, pastor, how's the church going? Oh, I'm busy. Right? That's like an automatic answer. It's like an automatic response. It's like you just hit the play button and we go, busy. (laughs) It's the first thing that comes out of our mouths because we're in a culture that is just so stinking busy. And all the time, that's our automatic response is that we're just busy. But I remember hearing this story from a friend of mine when I was out eating pizza with him and we were just talking about the Lord and different things. And and he, he brought up this great point that I just kept thinking about over and over and over again. And he said that when he was a kid, that his dad would not allow him to say, I don't have time to do something. He said that vocabulary wasn't allowed in our home. He said, Dad would always tell us, listen, son, you've got the same amount of time as everybody else. So if he would say, did you clean your room? He would say, oh, I didn't have time. He said, no, it's not that you didn't have time. He said, it just wasn't enough of a priority for you. He said, it's not that you don't have the time. He said, it's just it wasn't as big of a priority as it should have been. So if we allow that to influence us and change the way that we think instead of going, well, I just don't have time. No, I need to restructure my priorities in life so I can understand what truly is important versus those things that may seem important, but yet they're not as important as they seem because everybody has the same amount of time. But here's what's been going on, and we can look in our world and see exactly these, these things happen all the time, that we've gotten out of balance, we've gotten out of control in a lot of our areas. I mean, I mean how, how out of balance and out of control have we gotten as a society? How crazy have we become in the things that we do and the things that we allow in our lives and how much we try to get done with the amount of time? You know, we have these labor-saving devices, you know, labor-saving devices, like our iPads and our iPhones and all of the, the smart phones and all those things like that that just make us have to take classes and take up more time to learn how to use them. We're going to have a training so you can learn how to use this thing that's going to save you a bunch of time. 
and all these things that just some, sometimes just seem to make our lives more complicated. Before the iPads and before the iPhones and all this other stuff, how many of you guys remember Palm Pilots? How many of you guys owned a Palm Pilot? Let me see your hand. Oh yeah, that's what I'm talking about. My Palm Pilot people in the house represent. I had a Palm Pilot when I was 18 years old because I was a youth pastor and I thought I needed one because I thought that a Palm Pilot meant I was important. And so I thought that if I owned one of these devices that I would be important. And so I would try to fill up my little Palm Pilot so I could show my pastor and say, oh, look at how organized and look at how important I am because look at how busy I am. And you know, that's funny and we laugh at that, but we still do the same thing today. We say, oh, look how busy I am. Look at how important I am. And that's really what we're searching for is we're looking for that significance. We're looking for that importance. We're looking to show someone, listen, I, I matter. And, and so I, I'm busy. I'm busy. That means I'm important. And we think that that equals significance, but oftentimes it just equals us getting stressed out, taking frustrations home, that, you know, taking it home to our spouse, taking our busy lives and our frustrations home to our kids. And this cycle just spins out of control and it just gets crazy and it affects our relationships. It affects our sanity. <laughs> we just feel like everything's crazy. It affects our relationship with God. You see, when you really think about it, if we're just spinning and spinning and spinning and spinning, but yet our priorities and our perspective is all jacked up, we're really destroying ourselves and we're really hurting ourselves. Because here's what we do when we get home. We want to be left alone so we can escape the pressure, so we can escape the guilt. I want to be left alone. I want to find an escape, whatever that escape may be, because I feel guilty because I didn't spend time with my kids or because I said something mean that I really didn't, you know, was, was ugly or hurtful to my spouse or whatever the case may be that I'm trying to avoid dealing with the guilt. So I'll get wrapped up in, in something that is just meaningless, that is not important at all, but yet it takes me away from the things that are important because I just don't want to confront the guilt or the fact that I may feel like a failure or the fact that I may feel like I'm a terrible person. So I just avoid it altogether and I look for a way to escape. And I go looking for different things to make me feel good. Or I go looking for different relationships to make me feel good. Or maybe even just something as simple as just vegging out in front of the TV and just trying to get my mind off of everything. And what I do is I put responsibility off. And, I trying to, and I'm trying to escape those feelings of guilt and those feelings of pressure. Just looking to escape. We're looking to escape that guilt. But here's the thing I want you to understand about a guilty conscience. Is that it's never going to change a procrastinating mindset. A guilty conscience is never going to change the mindset that says, oh, I'm going to put this off and I'll deal with this later. The guilty conscience is never going to bring that thing to change. It's never going to do it, no matter how hard you may think that you, know, that, that you may try, no matter how much guilt you may feel or how much guilt you may try to make someone else feel. I, I, I know nobody in here struggles with that. But a lot of times what happens is that we'll try to use guilt to manipulate other people to do what we want them to do. And we'll try to make them feel guilty like, oh, they haven't been there or, oh, they've been bad or they've been sorry or remember when you did this or you did that or you didn't do this. And we throw stuff in one another's face because we're trying to get our hands on the controls of their life to get them to do what we want them to do. And we try to use guilt as the vehicle to do it. But let me tell you something about guilt. Guilt is not a healthy motivator. 
Nobody believes me. Guilt is not a healthy motivator. It is a motivator, but it's not a healthy one. Guilt is not a healthy motivator, or is it a lasting one? It's not a healthy one or a lasting one, because here's what happens. We look for ways to ease the guilt if guilt is being that motivator to try to get us to change. And what happens is that if our perspective doesn't change, if our priorities don't change, then the actions will return, and so will the guilt. The guilt and the same old actions will be right back where you started all over again. And you'll be feeling the guilt. You'll feel the condemnation. You'll feel the shame. Feel like you're a failure. Feel like you're worthless. Feel like everybody's against you. Feel like you're all alone all over again because your perspective didn't change. Because you didn't change your priorities. You didn't allow God's perspective to become your perspective. You're still thinking the same way. You're just trying to do this just to ease the feeling of the guilt. And let me tell you something else about guilt. God does not use guilt to get us to do what he desires for us to do. Oh, let me say that again because somebody in this place needs to hear that. I said that God does not use guilt to get us to do what he wants us to do in our lives. He does not use that. A lot of people think that guilt is something that God is making me feel bad or making me feel guilty. No, 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 no. That's not how God works. Let me show you in his word how he works in the book of Romans chapter 2 and verse 1. This is the apostle Paul writing to the Romans. He's excited to get to go see them, to get to share with them the gospel. And so he writes out all of this thing, all these things in this letter to explain to them his, uh, his doctrine and what Jesus has done and helping them understand the redemptive work of Christ. And so he writes them this letter to give them a preamble before he comes and makes his visit. And he's trying to get them to understand something. He's trying to get these Romans to get it, that it's not about you being better than someone. It's not about you earning something. It's not about you putting yourself in the seat of a judge, but yet it is about us understanding the goodness and the grace of God, even when we do fall, even when we do sin. Amen, somebody? See, this is what Paul's trying to communicate to him, and this is what he tells him in Chapter 2, verse 1. Therefore, you are inexcusable, O man, whoever you are who judge. For in whatever you judge another, you condemn yourself. For you who judge practice the exact same things. But we know that the judgment of God is according to the truth against those who practice such things. And do you think this, O man, you who judge practicing such things and doing the same, that you're, that you're going to escape the judgment of God? Or do you despise the riches of His goodness? forbearance and long-suffering, not knowing that it's the goodness of God that brings us to repentance. Some of your Bibles may say it's the kindness of the Lord that leads us to repentance. It's the kindness. It's the goodness of God. It's those things that lead us to Him. It's those things, His goodness, not Him sitting over, you know, beating us over the head with a baseball bat, not uh, Him making us feel like we're second class or, or worthless. Any of you guys remember Homie the Clown? Homie don't play that. He'd whack you over the head with a sock. God's not saying, God don't play that. He's whacking you over the head with a sock. That's not what he's doing. God's not making you feel like you're unworthy or like you're trash or like you're a failure because you messed up here or you messed up there. He's wanting his kindness and his goodness, his mercy and his forgiveness that are new every morning to be the thing that draws us to him. Amen? That's the thing that he wants to draw us to himself. So he doesn't use guilt to try to bring us to him. He doesn't even want us to, to use guilt to try to get people to come to church. 
Hello, somebody. He wants us to come to church because we love him and we want to worship him, not because we're bad people, but because we love him and we love being with other believers and we are encouraged when we come together. And we're there for one another. And we can be there to sharpen one another and to love on one another. Amen, somebody? Isn't that what it's about? we got to get this. we got to understand that guilt is not that motivator. And God doesn't use that guilt. But we do feel guilty a lot of times when we know that things are out of order in our lives. We feel that guilt. And instead of allowing those feelings of guilt and those emotions to control and run our lives, don't you think that we should do something about it? Don't you think we need to do something about it instead of allowing this stuff? Because you know what? Enough is enough. We need to draw a line in the sand and say, you know what? I'm tired of letting this guilt and my emotions run my life because if you let your emotions run your life, guess what? They'll do it. Oh, I don't feel good today, or I have, I'm having a bad day, and because I feel bad, I treat everyone else bad, and I want them to have a bad day with me. Come join the fun. Why don't you get on the bad day bus? <laughs> and that's exactly what we'll do. Come on. Why don't you take a ride, whether you'd like to or not? I'll make sure you get on. But it's because our emotions aren't in check. It's because our perspective is not God's perspective of how we see ourselves and of how God sees us. But yet we're living out of our emotions, these feelings of guilt, these feelings of anger, these feelings of selfishness, these feelings of, fail, of being a failure. We project those onto other people unknowingly. And most oftentimes, isn't it the people that don't even deserve it? Isn't it those people that love us the most and care about us the most? that we try to put down to make ourselves feel better or we try to hurt in some way. And we do that because we ourselves are hurting. That's what Pastor Mike has always said. That's part of his, uh, his mantra that he always says in, uh, in Celebrate Recovery. Hurting people hurt people. That's exactly what we do when we're hurting, when we're angry, when we're disappointed. We try to hurt other folks. And that's what happens when we allow that stuff to control our lives. So I think that we should do something about it. And, and as I was praying and preparing this message and asking the Lord to give me direction on exactly what specifically we should address this morning when we're talking about putting things in proper priority and having that new priority, letting God's priorities be our priorities, this just came ringing loud and clear to my heart. And I want you to write it down because I'm preaching to me just as much as I am to you. Because this is just as much for me. I want you to understand that we have to stop the urgency addiction. We've got to stop it. We've got to stop the urgency addiction. Look at somebody and say, stop the urgency addiction. Here's what we do, folks. We get addicted. We get addicted to things that are urgent, that are chaotic, that are drama, that are last minute. Because chaos, stress, and pressure, we've got this warped thing in our heads thinking that that equals significance or importance. I'm important because I'm so ridiculously busy that my life is a constant game show episode of Minute to Win It. And that little British lady is always counting down everything I'm going to do. She's saying, you must get to church in three, two, one. <laughs> you must pay your bill in three, two, one. <laughs> you must spend time with your children in three, two, one. 
And that's exactly what we do. We live our lives like we're playing a constant game, a minute to win it, and we're always under the gun all the time. And you know what it does? It wears us out. Aren't you tired of being tired? How you doing? I'm tired or I'm busy. Those are the two best things we can come up with. How you doing? Oh, I'm tired. Oh, I'm busy. I'm tired. I'm busy. I'm busy of being tired and I'm tired of being busy. And these are the things that we always say to one another. Isn't it time that it stops? And let me tell you, folks, an iPad or an iPhone or a Palm Pilot is not going to do it. It's the person that has to change. It's the perspective. It's the priorities that have to change. It has to start in here. It has to start with us getting a new view of what really is important. You know, we get addicted, though, to those urgent things. We get addicted to that cast. Man, and we think we're awesome when we pull it off, don't we? Whoo, man. There were only like, you know, a couple of hours left, and I turned in that report last minute, and it was the best they ever seen because I worked so well under pressure. So I always want to be under pressure. I heard a pastor say this. Um, he was, he's pastor of a large church out on the West Coast. And he was talking about how he, you know, his church was going well. Things were going well. And he was just running and running and running. And he said, man, he, things were just going well. He's running off of, you know, four hours of sleep a night, you know, living off of Red Bull and Monster and all those other crazy energy drinks, just constantly living off, just going, going, going. He said, he noticed he started feeling weird. He noticed that things started going wrong in his life, and, he, and his wife got real concerned about him, and she said, honey, you need to go to the doctor. And so he finally broke down and went to the doctor, and after the doctor checked him out and just running normal tests on him to see what's going on, found out that the guy had burst his adrenaline glands because he had been living off of pure adrenaline for so long and had been working so hard that he never took time to put the right things in the right place to reel back and to make sure that he was getting recharged and refreshed. Because it's one thing, folks, to give and to give and to give and to give, but you've got to allow someone to give into you also. Amen? You've got to allow that time for you to be recharged and for you to be refreshed as well. And that's what this guy realized. He's like, whoa, man, my life is way out of order. My priorities are way out of order. I can't just keep running and spend, oh, oh, it'll be better after this, or oh, it'll be better after that. And I just keep procrastinating and putting away the things that are really important. And then next thing you know, I'm dealing with crisis with my children, or I'm dealing with crisis in my finances or in my marriage, because I've been saying, oh, oh, I just keep putting things away, putting things away, putting things away. Busyness is often an excuse that we use for neglecting things in our lives that are really important. You know, the things that we know, because I, I believe we really do know what really is important. Matter of fact, if I was to take a poll in here and say, hey, what's important? Everybody would give the same exact answers. I would say the majority of us would write down the same exact answers. But if we compared our life to those answers, do they match up? Are they, do they balance out? Or does what we say and what we do, are they two different things? Oh, God's the most important thing in my life. And, you know, my, and, and my family, and then my, you know, got to take care of my job, you know, after that. And, you know, I want to make sure that, you know, my church, my church is important, so I'll put that somewhere on my priority list. But then we look at our life. Does our life match up when we can say all those things? Because, listen, busyness and chaos and, 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 and drama and all that junk, listen, it's not an excuse, and it's definitely not something that means we're important just because something is screaming in our face, Right? We got to stop the addiction. We got to stop the addiction to the business. We got to stop the addiction to the drama. 
You know, sometimes we got stuff going on in our own lives, but if we actually have a season where there ain't nothing dramatic going on in our own life, we'll look for drama in somebody else's life. <laughs> we'll go looking for somebody else has got something going on so we can get all up in their business and we can get all worked up about what's going on in their life. We'll get on Facebook. Ooh, girl, did you see what he said about her? Oh, did you see that picture that they put on Facebook? Oh, my goodness, I can't believe they went there and did that. Don't you know they ain't got no money? <laughs> and you get all worked up about something. Ain't even none of your business. And you're getting all, you're getting all excited. And, and then if there's no drama on Facebook, you'll grab like a copy of People or Us Weekly and you'll look at it and go, Oh, Tom Cruise and Katie Holmes. Oh, my goodness, I can't believe they got divorced. What in the world is going on? I know that she's probably cheating on him. If we don't have any drama, we'll find some. Why? Because we're addicted. Because we get addicted to it. Listen, folks, ain't nobody got time for that, right? We don't have time for that. We don't have time to spend the rest of our lives getting addicted and having to feed the need of being these people that are wrapped up in drama all the time because it's going to stress us out. You wonder why we're so stressed out? My, my, my uh, father-in-law always tells me this whenever I, you know, uh, I, I start asking him something like that or start, you know, trying to stir something up. He'll go, and that's some more of your business. And that's what we need to tell us weekly. That's some more of your business. You know, I mean, come on. We need to stop allowing ourselves to get so wrapped up in things that don't pertain to us that aren't important. Because just because something seems important or it seems like it's screaming at our face, it doesn't necessarily mean that it's important. As a matter of fact, EMTs... The, the first, first responders, when they go to uh, like a house fire or something and, and say there's two people that come out of the house and one comes out of the house just screaming their head off and just freaking out, runs out of the house, but yet another one runs out of the house and is not screaming and yet they start to wheeze and they're quiet and they, they're not, they can't be heard over the sirens and the person yelling and the person collapses. What do you think, which person do you think that the EMT is going to run to? Are they going to run to the one that's screaming? No, they're okay, they're breathing. The other person that's done run, the, the, the smoke, they ran through the smoke and the smoke got me. It got bronchitis, right? Or something like that. They ran through the smoke and, and, and then next thing you know, they're over there and they may be gasping for air. And so that's what the EMT is trained to do is trained to run over there to that person that may be the quiet one that may be not moving. But yet oftentimes we miss that thing in our lives that may be choking or that may be struggling because there's something screaming right in our face and we feel like oh oh, i gotta spend all my time over here and give my attention all over here while things are beginning to fall apart and things are beginning to crumble and and begin to get hurt and we don't even realize it because we neglect the things that are important now sometimes there are things that are urgent and that are also important that, that happens a lot but there's a lot of things that appear to be very very urgent but they're not all that important and we need to understand God's perspective and God's priority and what it means to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness so we can understand how to get his perspective to begin to put things into proper priority in our lives. And some of it starts with learning the power of the word no, right? Sometimes we've got to learn the power of the word no. And we've got to learn to actually say these things and use these things. Now, with all this in mind, let's go back to Matthew chapter 6 and let's read it in a little bit more context here other than just the 33rd verse. Let's look at Matthew chapter 6 and let's look at verse 24. <coughs> Jesus said, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to one and he'll despise the other. 
You cannot serve God and mammon, or money is what he's talking about there. Therefore, I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet our heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they are? Which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his stature? So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field and how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, and yet I say to you that even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what are we going to drink, or what are we going to wear? For all these things the Gentiles seek, and your heavenly Father knows that you need these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Therefore do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Now here, Jesus is telling us, listen, we've got to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. This is the most important thing. We need to seek after this first. But what does that mean? What does that mean to seek first the kingdom of God? I want to give you a very easy explanation of what that means to seek first the kingdom of God and give you a couple of things that you can actually take and apply to your life that will help you to put this in proper perspective so you can understand what it means to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Basically, what he's saying is allow God's kingdom values to be our guide in setting our priorities. Allow his heart, his kingdom values, who he is, his righteousness, his kingdom, what's important to him, allowing those things to influence us to the point that we begin to take on those values as our own and letting him influence every area of our lives. And this is how we do it. This is one way that we can do it. We can learn God's values by allowing his word to shape and influence our understanding, our perspective, and our values. Because the word of God or the Bible is the most important thing in our lives. It's the perfect picture, the perfect will of God that gives us the very heart of God. It shows us what is important to him, what's not important to him. It shows us the things that matter to God. It shows us how he makes decisions. It shows us how he chooses to do what he does and how he is who he is. And we begin to unravel and unpack the very person of God. And we begin to understand his heart in perfection because God is perfect. Because his word is perfect. His will is perfect. And when we begin to see that, we look at his word and we go, so that's what God values. Or that's how God looks at this or looks at that. And we are able to take these things and apply them to our lives because we want what God wants because we love him, because it's his mercy and his goodness and his kindness that draws us to him. The Bible says it's the kindness of the Lord that leads men to repentance. Repentance isn't just saying, I'm sorry. Repentance is a change. It's a turnaround, right? That's what repentance is. It's not just going, oh, God, I'm sorry. It's saying, oh, no, I'm changing. I'm making a decision to turn. And that's exactly what he said. It's his goodness that leads us to change. It's his kindness and his great mercy and his grace that leads us to become the people that he desires for us to be as we grow in our understanding of his goodness, as we grow in application of his truth. So we've got to learn his word. That's the first thing we've got to do. Second thing we've got to do is we've got to listen 
and obey his voice. We have to listen and obey to the voice of God as he leads us in our lives because he will direct our steps. Because God cares about every aspect of your life, right? I mean, even the little things that you don't think are that important, God cares about every aspect of your life. He's very interested in you. He's very interested in the decisions that you make and what you allow to influence you. And so he wants to speak to us and direct and order our steps in our lives. But we've got to listen. It's not that God is speaking. It's just sometimes when we go to God, it's a one-sided conversation. And we just go and tell God all our business and all our problems. And then we go, okay, I feel better. But yeah, did you, did you stop and listen and allow God to speak to your heart? Did you allow God to lead you and guide you? Did you allow him to speak to your heart however he may speak to you in that moment? Sometimes it's real obvious when God speaks to us. And you know, man, God is trying to get me to do this or he's trying to speak to me to do that. And he's really uh, very obvious that God is speaking to my heart. And then sometimes we get so busy and things are so chaotic that we've got to pedal back and we've got to get quiet and we've got to listen, and we've got to shut out distractions. We've got to turn off the TV, and and we've got to get alone before the Lord and let Him speak to us through that still, small voice that He wants to lead or guide or comfort or correct or whatever He may do. Speak to me, God. I, I want to know what I need to do. And, you know, I remember that um, one time I was in a restaurant Uh, when I lived in Texas called Taco Bueno. And if you've never been to Taco Bueno before, you're not missing anything. (laughs) Because it's it's basically like a Taco Bell, but my wife really likes Taco Bueno, and, you know, she thinks it's the greatest, and so I I like to take her there, you know, when we see one. But we had one in the town we lived in in Texas. But when we lived in Texas, we struggled a lot financially, and and, and we weren't doing really well financially, so we weren't able to just go out to eat whenever we wanted to. Uh, so it was a very rare thing that we got to go and do that. Number one, we had a hard time, both of our schedules syncing up to where we could get away. Uh, I was running a business and she was working a full-time job. And then we had three kids and they were all babies, three babies, you know, all in diapers of twins. And Josiah was only 18 months older. It was a crazy time in our lives. And so it wasn't an all the time thing we got to go out, but I had had enough money in my budget set aside to where we could go out to eat. And we were going to go to Taco Bueno. I was going to get a number eight with white cilantro rice. (laughs) Because that's what I always got when I went to Taco Bueno. Every time. And and I I knew how much money it was going to take to go. And so I budgeted out. I went up there to Taco Bueno. And there's a man in line in front of me. And the Lord speaks to my heart. And he tells me, you need to buy that man's food. And I'm like... But I pull out my wallet, and I, and I start thumbing through it, and I start going, oh, man, uh, Lord. And I hear the guy ordering, and he's, like, getting, you know, another burrito. And Do you want to add sour cream to that? Yeah. Do you want to up, upsize that? Yeah. And I'm going, uh, uh, don't upsize it in Jesus' name. <laughs> drink water, drink water, drink water. It's free. You know, and, and I, but the guy, he just keeps ordering. And not only is he ordering for him, but he's ordering for his whole family. They were all, they already had a table. He was up there doing the ordering. But I knew that it was God, and I knew the Lord was speaking to me. And I knew that I had this opportunity to obey the voice of the Lord. Because I've had those opportunities before when I knew it was God, and I didn't act on it. 
And I thought about it all day and, and, and had to ask the Lord to forgive me. God, help me to be aware and obedient the next time I see an opportunity that you're presenting me. But this opportunity, I knew it was God. I knew the voice of God. I knew he was talking to my heart. And so I told my wife, I said, I've got to buy this guy's food. She's like, what? <laughs> I said, yeah. And like the Lord told me to do it. So I tap him on the shoulder and he turns around and just as he grabs for his wallet, and I start off by saying this. Sir, I promise I'm not crazy. It's always a good way to preface before you're about to tell somebody what I told them. Sir, I, I'm not crazy, but, but I just want you to hear me out. I, I, I need to let me buy your meal. And I knew he was about to start arguing with me because that's naturally what we do. We were, we're wanting to go, oh, you know. And I wouldn't let him do it. I said, sir, I said, before you say anything, I said, God told me to buy your food. He looks at me. And he said, okay. And he backs away like this. And I reach for my wallet. I pay for the man's food. And thank God I did have enough food to buy. I mean, enough money to buy the food that uh, my wife and I both wanted as well. So it all worked out. But yet he stepped back and he looked at me. Didn't say thank you, which I thought was kind of weird because I'm like, oh, I'm obeying God here. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> I mean, least you could do is say thanks. <laughs> he didn't say anything at all. And I'm like, that was weird. And he goes and he sits down and he's just kind of like, you know, walking like this with his tray. Sits down and kind of looking at him like, Psh, you know, come on. But I pay, for, I pay for my food. I'm like, that was really weird, but I knew it was right. I said, okay, God, I didn't do that for me. I did that for you because you told me to do it. Sit down. He's finished with his food, and I'm about halfway through mine, and uh, he comes over to my table, and he taps me on the shoulder and says, excuse me, sir, and he looks at me and said, why'd you do that? And I looked at him, and I said, well, I told you why. I said, because God told me to. He said, God told you, huh? And I said, yeah. He said, well, he starts breaking down crying right there. He said, uh, he said I'm a worship pastor here in town at the Baptist Church. And he said, I've been here for a couple of months, me and my family. We, they moved from another state. And he said, our church is going through a really rough season, rough time. And um, he said, I, my, my wife and I were considering leaving because it was just getting really difficult. And we didn't know that this is where we needed to be or not. And I told the Lord, I said, God, if this is where you have me, then I need to know because I just felt like God wasn't speaking to me. I wasn't hearing God. You know, I, I just didn't know what to do. He said, and then you bought my food. He said, and I sat down and told my wife what you said, that God told you to do that. He said, and we both started crying. He said, because we knew that God was still speaking to us. He said, even though he used you, he said, God was still speaking to us. And we know that we know that we're supposed to stick here and be with our church and help us make it through this time of transition that we're going through. And I know this is where we're supposed to be. Thank you for obeying the voice of the Lord. And he just walks away. Now, folks, I want you to understand when we look at God's value system and God's priorities, it's more important to God that a worship pastor that's on the edge of possibly leaving knows that God is still with him and is encouraged than it is that I get my white cilantro lime rice in God's order of value system, right? In my value system, it was more important that I got the rice, <laughs> 
And honestly, I, I didn't tell the story in uh, the first service or Saturday night, but there's actually a little follow-up story to that that's kind of cool. Um, because I had bought the man's meal, I didn't have any extra money to go back and get another taco because I was still hungry <laughs> after I ate my food. And, and, you know, I was like, I'll just go get another taco and then I'll, I'll be good. And, but I was like, I don't have enough money. And I went to go throw my, my stuff away. And there was a lady that worked for the postal service. She was there at the, uh, at the door as well. And she, she grabs my arm. She says, sir, she, she, said, uh, she said, are you still hungry? And I said, <laughs> I said yeah, that's kind of weird. You know, I'm like, yeah. And I'm kind of laughing at this point. It's like, weird. what do I look like? I'm hungry or something. <laughs> and uh, and she, said, she, said, uh, she said, I bought one too many tacos. And she said, would you like to have my taco? And she said, I promise I hadn't ate it or spit on it or nothing weird. She said, she said I just hate to waste food. And I said, oh, thank you. And so see, God even gave me my taco out of the deal. I didn't, I didn't tell that. Yeah. <laughs> True story. True story. It was just a, that, that was a cool day. And I was kind of laughing when I went back to my seat. I told Holly, she said, how do you get that? You know, <laughs> you told me you didn't have any more money. <laughs> but anyways, uh, you, you know, Listen, God even cares about the little things, and He wants us to listen to His voice, and He wants us to value what He values. He wants us to put things in proper priority and proper, pr- proper perspective. And a lot of times, we, we, don't, uh, we, we don't do a good job. A lot of times, we uh, make poor decisions or we make poor judgments. But folks, that doesn't mean that we stop and that we give up. It doesn't mean that, 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 that all of a sudden we throw our hands up in the air and go, oh, well, this is too hard. No, no, no. We have to make the decision that it's worth it. We have to make the decision that it's worth it to align my values and my priorities with what is important to God. This is how we seek God first. This is how we put Him first place in our lives. We allow Him to be our priority and we learn what is truly important. And here's the thing that I want you to get. I want you to write this down, that today is the day and now is the time to do it. Now is the time. Today is the day to start seeking first the kingdom of God, to allowing His Word to shape my values in my life, to allow His voice to start leading me and guiding me into all truth right now, today, not next week, not next Christmas, not next Easter. Oh, now I'm going to now, now start listening to God. Now I'm going to start seeking His Word and seeking His will for my life. No, no, no. Today is the day and now is the time because excuses, guilt, procrastination will keep you stuck in the ditch of yesterday's problems. It always will. You've got to make up your mind that today is the day and now is the time, no matter how easy it may be and convenient it may be or how tough and inconvenient that it may be, that I'm going to put God first. Because sometimes listening to God and obeying His voice is easy. And sometimes it causes us to have to let go of some things that maybe we've been holding on to. And it may be a little tougher or it may be a little bit more inconvenient because maybe I've become too addicted to the urgent. Or maybe I've become too addicted to the stress and the chaos and it's hard to let it go. But we've got to make up our minds that today is the day and now is the time. So let me ask you this. What is that one thing that you know that if you focused on and did extremely well and you did it consistently, that it would have a significant and positive impact on your life. What is that one thing that you know that if, if I did consistently well and I focused on it, that it would have a significant and positive impact on my marriage, on my children, on my job, on my life, 
or my relationship with God? I think what we'll find is that the answer to all of those questions is the same thing. Is that putting God first, seeking God and his kingdom and his righteousness first and allowing him to influence our life if we do that and we focus on that extremely well what does the bible say in matthew 6 and 33 that if we seek first the kingdom of god and his righteousness that he'll take care of the rest right all other things will be added unto you i'm there for you i will take care of the rest you've just got to get things in proper perspective and priority you've got to get it in proper priority you see, when we allow God to influence our lives and become first in our influences, He shapes our values and our priorities. And what it does is it sets things in His order, not our order, His order, so we can truly understand what it means for all things to become new. We can receive forgiveness and grace it propels us forward. It propels us past being stuck in yesterday's failures or the guilt that we don't measure up. And so here's what I want to do today. I want you to write these down. It's the last thing I'm going to give you today before we close. I'm going to give you a stack today, all right? Now, when I work out with my trainer, he gives me, uh, you know, he puts me on all these different supplements and vitamins and things that he wants me to take because he knows that this stack of vitamins and supplements, he knows that it'll help me reach my goals that will help me to go forward. And so that's exactly what I want to do with Scripture today. I want to give you a stack of Scripture that all these things working together are going to help you to move forward. And I want to start off by giving you Romans chapter 8 and verse 1. And I want to read these to you. Romans 8 and verse 1. You've got to understand this. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Verse 2, for the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. There is now therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Stop living under the guilt and pressure of condemnation, because if you're in Christ, there is no more condemnation. In Christ, there is freedom. You've been freed from the law of sin and death. It's up to us to see it and to realize it. And then we need to do this. Philippians chapter 4 and verse 6. Philippians 4 and verse 6 says this. Be anxious or worry for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. He said, listen, don't worry about anything, but rather trust that when you ask God that you let him know what you have need of. When you pray, when you petition the Lord, when you ask him for things, don't worry about it. Just trust that he's got it. You have to learn how to give it to God. And then after you pray with thanksgiving and you let your request be made known unto God, this is what verse 7 tells us to do. And the peace of God, which passes all of our understanding, will guard our heart. And what else is it going to guard? our mind through Christ Jesus. You see, the peace of God will guard your heart and will guard your mind. So in other words, we have to trust in Him after we pray and, after, and we can't worry. And then he says this, verse 8, Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, noble, just, pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of a good report, if there's any virtue, if there's anything that's praiseworthy, meditate or think over and over again on those things. That's what he said. He wants us to think over and over again on these things. That's what you need to focus on. And then the last scripture I want to give you in this stack is Matthew 6 and 33. 
Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these other things will be added unto you. I want you to take these scriptures this week, and I want you to read them. And I want you to think on them, and I want you to meditate on them. That means to think on it over and over again. Just let these scriptures influence your life this week. Romans 8 and 1 and verse 2. And then Philippians 4, 6 through 8. And then Matthew 6 and 33. So you can begin to allow your thinking to be molded and shaped to be more in line with God's priorities and His values. Because when our priorities are in line, when our values are in line, when our perspective's in line with God's will for our lives, guess what we're going to do? We're going to start making decisions that are directly in line with God's will for our lives because we're already hooked up with Him. We're already hooked up with Him. We're already thinking the way that God wants us to think, viewing things the way God wants us to view, acting and reacting the way God wants us to react. So as we grow in our understanding of His grace, of His mercy, of His kindness that leads us to change, that draws us to repentance. We understand what Ephesians 4, 23 says when it says that we need to be renewed in the spirit of our mind. We understand what it means to be made new. We understand what it means to walk that new life out. We understand what it means to be free from the guilt and the shame and the condemnation that others would like to bring or that the enemy would like to bring in our lives to make us feel like we're less than. But we need to rest in the fact that God is greater than anything. Amen. Would you bow your heads this morning? Maybe you're here in this place this morning and say, Pastor Derek, I'm hearing about the goodness of God that leads men to repentance, that leads them to change, and I'm ready to give my heart to Jesus Christ. Maybe you've never done that before. And you're saying, I'm ready to give my heart to Jesus Christ. I'm ready for Him to come and make all things new. All it takes is us having faith and trust that what He did on the cross by dying, by being buried, by being risen from the grave, that He paid the penalty for my sin for your sin and for the sin of all mankind. And now we can live a life that is free and full of mercy and grace and goodness. And today, if you're saying, Pastor, I'm ready to receive Jesus Christ, I want you to just let me know that you're here by lifting your hand and putting it back down. I promise I'm not going to embarrass you. I just want you to let me know that you're here. Would you lift your hand and put it back down? Just let me know you're here. Anybody today? I see that hand. You can put it down. I see that hand. I see that hand. Thank you, Jesus. Anybody else in this place? The most important decision that you could make in your entire life to make sure that your life is right with Christ. I'm ready to give my heart to Jesus. Well, would you help me out this morning, church, by all of us saying this prayer together, and I want you to mean it from the very depths of your heart. Say, Jesus, I give you my heart today, and I ask you, to make all things new. I receive your grace and I rid myself of the condemnation of my failures, of my past, of who I was. Today is a new day. I am new in Christ. Jesus, be the Lord of my life. I'll follow you in Jesus' name. Amen.